Um, I remember sort of sitting there playing playing chess match and chess competition, you know, losing position, wondering if if I was God, could I get out of this game and win it? And there's a mathematical possibility. Welcome to Beyond the Book podcast. I'm your host, Aaron Wogelenter. Each week, I invite you to take a journey with me to take a look at what happens beyond a range of books and what inspires some of today's great Jewish authors. If you're an author, or if you know an awesome author who would like to come on the show, please reach out to me at info at intentionaljew.com. Speaking about Intentional Jew, this podcast is sponsored by Intentional Jew Podcast Network, the greatest Jewish podcast network creating great Jewish content. We're always updating and adding new content, new shows, so check it out at intentionaljew.com. Today's guest is Rabbi Shmuel Phillips. Born and raised in England, Rabbi Shmuel Phillips has spent almost two decades studying yeshiva and kolal in Israel. During the time, he also completed a law degree from the University of London. Shmuel currently lives in Rechavia, Jerusalem, with his wife Rivka and four children. Rabbi Phillips' book, Judaism Reclaimed, is a philosophical work using a more rational approach to Judaism based off of each parsha of the week. You can find Herbert Phillips on Facebook. I'll put the link for that in the show notes. But he's also a moderator of the Facebook group called Judaism Reclaimed with over 4,000 members who have conversations about Jewish philosophy. Herbert Phillips talks today about how his upbringing has shaped the way he thinks and why he wrote this particular book. You can find Herbert Phillips again on his Facebook group, Judaism Reclaimed, and on his website, JudaismReclaimed.com. And there you can find excerpts from the book. To purchase the book, you can go to mosaicapress.com. And if you purchase the book on the site, Mosaic Press gave my listeners a special 10% off code for any purchase. So that's the code BEYOND10 at checkout at the mosaicapress.com website. At this point, I want to say a special thank you to Shui from Mosaic Press who really helped me get this project off the ground. He made some really important introductions um, to other authors for me. So thank you so much, Shui, for that. And without further ado, uh, I bring you Shmuley Phillips. So thank you, Rabbi Phillips, for coming on the show. Um, obviously, I read, I read part of your butts, and I've seen you on, on Facebook. I've seen you um, obviously fighting... And uh, an important cause and an important I, a message that came out from since you've written your book. But I really want to understand more of uh, what made you what made you fight this cause and what made you and I and I say it like that because I I think I'm understanding it correctly and what made you um, really write this book to start this journey. But there's a journey before the journey, and I wanna I really want to understand that. So, in what like what experiences did you have in your life? Um, through childhood, through yeshiva days, that helped shape just the way that the way that you see the world and the 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 importance of this rational rationalistic uh, approach to Judaism that you think is so important to to have written a book on it. Okay, well, just a little bit of background. I live in Yerushalayim. I've been here now nineteen twenty years. My first month here was nine eleven seeing all the helicopters swooping in and uh, evacuating the Knesset as I welcome to Israel. So, yeah, looking back, it was quite an 
unusual upbringing. Uh, my parents are from an academic background. They were becoming religious. It's around the time that I was born. And they were on their own journey at the time. I went from a, through a whole range of schools, from a Hasidic elementary school, primary school, all the way through to more modern Orthodox schools. I was, I, my behavioral problems at the time, so I was getting kicked out of schools on a regular basis also. And I picked up from my schooling, definitely the Hasidic schools, what I guess you'd call more sort of Haredi attitudes from uh, teachers, certainly from fellow students in the school. And I was left to reconcile this from a very young age with the very different ideas I had from home. <clears throat> Sorry. I had a very anti-religious family who we mixed a lot with. Um, my father was a, was a teacher, professor, lecturer in university, so we had many of his colleagues, many of his students who came around for Shabbos meals. Uh, many of them were not particularly religious themselves. So I really experienced quite a wide range of views and perspectives as a child from a young age. I think that was probably as probably part of the background for the Judaism claims because I was always dealing with multiple perspectives and having to play them off against each other. I was always aware of these very different perspectives. Um, I guess not many children get home from a from their Hasidic day school to be challenged by a angry grandparents about the morality of religion or what are you doing? You're, you, you know, your 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 Shabbos is so great, but you don't come around to visit me. It's 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 constantly from a young age. I was having to, I was conditioned to challenge myself and to try to rationalise and understand every idea that I was taught and came across. In case one day I'd have to explain it to someone who came from a very different perspective. So yeah, this certainly, in a sense, paved the way for part of the. Did you ever have those conversations, project. like post book? Did you have those conversations with family members, and they were? They, they understood it better than the Hasidic approach that they were challenging on when you were a child. Like, <laughs> did that come back out? Or that was just a maybe motivation, but not necessarily a, a constant conversation? More of a motivation. I think some of them might have recognized some of the issues they threw at me being addressed within the book, perhaps. Um, so, yeah, it was definitely the, the family background. I also suffered, suffer, whatever you call it, with that. Uh, quite severe ADD, ADHD from a young age, which means that, I don't know how familiar you are with it, but you don't sort of stay with one topic, one perspective. I'm always sort of reading something else. Halfway through one book, I pick up another book. So my mind will naturally look to include as many different ideas and opinions as, as possible and bounce them off against each other. So in a way, the for those of you that have seen the Judaism Reclaimed book, it's really the footnotes or cross-reference to each other. It's a, in some ways it's very organized by the chapter, by the parasha. In some ways it's quite chaotic because I'm constantly dealing with several issues. And in a way that's what makes it unique because it's drawing together a, a very wide range of you know, the academic sources the, and the whole range of religious sources all at one place and sending you off on a journey through the book at the same time. So yeah, the religious background, the ADD background, the, the sort of being part of the, the formation and the, the formative uh, influences of Judaism. Right. I love the um, the self-awareness, but also the ability to recognize that that's your you know, unfair advantage, that you were able to put something together there because, um, because of that, what everyone else 
claims is a disadvantage and you were able to use that to your advantage. That's, that's very, um, that's cool that, that you're able to recognize that, but also I've, I've seen that in your own work. That's awesome. So it's a disadvantage in terms of, uh, you know, if you're given a Gemara and told to sit down and you should even learn for three hours, well, that's, that's a, that's a real challenge to sit down and do one thing with one person, one book for three hours. That's, uh, to, to put together multiple sources that, that comes much more easily. Did did your book help you appreciate this about yourself, or did you or did you pick this up at uh was this that was this like the motivation or probably my but the end of my end of my high school years I still tried to I had to be able to, A levels we have in England I had to be able to work out a system which I could uh, study and not necessarily sit down and work through things but be able to as I had three different books open at the same time and bounce different ideas off. Off my own contrast to compare different ideas. At the same right. Time. In terms of like the education system being, um, and I'm sure you are, you are almost a product of this and you saw this um, in a very real way that the education system we have, uh, I'm not super familiar with the Hasidic education system, but it definitely the yeshiva education system doesn't necessarily leave room for anybody to be creative in that kind of way. And it's sort of just deemed as a disadvantage. And then we move, um, you can't be in the the normal classroom. So I was just curious if that, but you saying that throughout high, you know, at the end of high school, you were able to uh, recognize and appreciate that. That's that's a good thing. That's awesome. Well, <laughs> so what actually happened is that the two or three of the teachers turned around and said, "Here's the study material. Don't come to the classes. Go home and uh, go home." That's the best it. thing, right? The best thing that could have happened for me. That was, that worked beautifully. So uh, I was able to sit down and work out how I could function, how I could. Uh, concentrate or you know, have, the, have, the, have the music on, have the books open, have the football on the background, move between different things and find our way of coping. So yeah, thank God that was the time I was able to uh, work out. The That's amazing. And then there's something you mentioned that your parents were, you know, becoming religious or Bali Chuva at the time when you were young. Um, do you find in terms of, it was this interesting there's an interesting mix of there are people, a lot of people come to the rational approach to Judaism or are more inclined to it. Um, what I find is a lot of times people who were religious or were, who were, who were super Haredi, we'll call it. And they were very like aligned in a certain way. And then they were exposed and they, they're thinking and they, they're maybe intellectuals like that. And they, they start branching out and then they realize that there's a whole world of Torah that has an approach that's a little bit easier to, um, deal with challenges. So that's on, on one hand, I've seen people who were religious and then um, not that a rational approach is not religious, but just that have moved saying mainstream religion is more of like a, a more, I guess you call it a mystical uh, based on the, the Kabbalah and the morals and these kinds of things. Um, and now they would switch, but I'm curious, I would think that also Bali Chuva sort of are um, turned on and see the beauty Sometimes not not always in in that rational approach, but they see it in the in more of a mystical approach. And then, did what are your what kind of? I think it's more of a personality thing. Okay, sometimes. could be. Um, and more people, more people are looking to get out of religion. Whereas I think we find Rav Soloveitchik talks about it in the Lachik Man how some people approach religion as whether it's a feel good thing or an escape from the challenges of life. They want to feel there's there's some some big guy out there to take care of them and they just have got certain rules to keep certain things they have to do and they get points for it they get credits and they don't have to think about anything else they don't have to worry about it they're keeping the rules 
they think I was going to be able to take care of them, and that's it. And they'll 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 try and you know get the shortcuts and the the sugulot, and it gets that that's more of the mystical approach, whereas the sort of all Maimonidean, the Hirschian approach that really attracted me is where you take an overall view of religion, of Judaism, of the Torah, as an ongoing, lifelong struggle, uh, a system through which you refine your, is it your, your, moral, your morality, your spirituality, your intellect, and it's all part of one big system, one, one greater goal, and one lifelong struggle. And really, this is one of the things which really attracted me to both the Rambam in terms of particularly the Moran of Uchim, and to an extent also Rapash, is that before reading Moran of Uchim, uh, this is probably one of the, the books which influenced me the most in my Judaism, so the Judaism was sort of a mixture of disparate, weird and wonderful teachings, little things that I liked, but I couldn't quite piece together, nothing quite fitted. And when you take someone like the Rambam, who's a big systemizer, it explains to you how all of Judaism is working in one direction to, to refine the person, to connect the person to Hashem. And it's very different to what I think of as the, you know, the Sonic the Hedgehog uh, <laughs> religion, where you're sort of running head fast, head strong, top, great neck speed, trying to jump up and grab as many sigolats and as many golden coins as you can, trying not to fall into the pit. You never really have a well, you never always have an, an idea of what you're aiming for. What, what's, what's your ultimate goal? And uh, what's the, what the different uh, coins and credits have been connected? I don't know. I'm just running through and trying to grab as much as I can, and the big guy out there's going to look out for me. The Rambam is not. It's Rapash also. It's a, it's a system, and it's a lifelong struggle of understanding and self-development and self-training. And that's really part of what really attracted me to the more, I guess, call it the, the rationalistic store, as it's known. And, wh- and why do you feel that you have to put this in a book? Meaning, writing a book is obviously an arduous job and a journey, but um, why why did you feel that we needed this kind of book? And it's also, it's split up, very interesting, it's split up on every Parsha, so it's a, it is a specific type of book, but what did you think was like almost missing today that you had to write this this book? Well, it's... It's really two two separate uh, points, two separate needs. I think that really really came together. One is that the is gradually since the era of the Rambam, the the more rationalistic path has has really suffered. Kabbalah has done a great job. It's become it's become seen. The mystical path has really been seen as the it's gradually taken over, so to speak. And people who find it doesn't really talk to them. It's not really what they're looking for. They're looking for a bigger system like I was for, for many years. They're not always even aware, I think you mentioned a bit earlier, they're not even aware that the Rambam's approach really exists. Um, if they do, they're told that, well, Rambam only wrote for people who are confused by Aristotle. Um, Rambam was only writing a, a Bidiyabed, Kira book, but it's, it's not real. That's not real Judaism. So a lot of people who are struggling with their religion, who doesn't, they don't really feel you know, they, they're going to shul three times a day even, they're learning a bit, they're, they're doing the right things, but it doesn't really talk to them. They feel they're just going through the motions. They don't really understand the bigger picture they're looking for. And for many of these people, they, they, the books just aren't out there. Um, you know, Rab- Rambam has been written mostly by the more academic types, doesn't really speak to the, the religious community so much. So I felt that it could be a real service 
to the from community to the orthodox community to just have a book out there which really sheds light on on the Torah, the mitzvahs, and the perspectives and, and modern problems that people people are are faced with from this more rationalist perspective. So that, that's one dimension. The other is, you know, I've, I've been here in Yerushalayim, I've been, I've been connected to Medrash world to a greater or lesser extent now for quite a long time. And I've stayed in touch with many of the, the Bacharim, the Avrechim, the people that have come through the system. And many of them, they, you know, they leave the Yeshiva world after, after a few years and entering the workplace, entering college, and then you know, they're good from guys, and they're suddenly confronted by a, a whole new world, a whole new perspective, uh, whether it's the, the academic critics of the Torah or Torah morality or various other you know, it's modern challenges, and they feel completely unable to deal with it. You know, they, they've been sitting there learning Babakama, Babitsia, or Makas, whatever it is, for a few years, and suddenly they're thrown in the deep end. And there aren't really so many rigorous from books to just to, just to show tenable responses from within the Jewish tradition, from showing how how let's say Rambam dealt with, so to speak, what will be called academic criticism of the Torah in his generation, and how that can be adapted to our generation, or how how Rapash responded to the challenges thrown down by Reform Judaism in his era in 19th century Germany, and how that can be, again, some of these challenges are essentially the same challenges, it's repackaged in 21st century, and for many people this was very helpful. I started writing this weekly email, uh, WhatsApp, Devar uh, Torah that was going around, this is why the Judaism became started, as you mentioned, as a parasha. It's oh, cool. Parasha. After a year of that, people tell me, I said, this is great, this is so helpful, why don't you put it into a book? So three years after that, of editing and adding twice as many chapters, you see many of the, many of the parishes have more than one chapter. So adding many more sources, and I've had to gradually evolve into a parasha book, also into the, the, the Judaism book that we have now. Cool, and you felt that, it, that it, you hit the nail, I mean, you, you found the right um, audience. It, it was mostly accepted, you feel, by like a yeshiva educated audience because just in my in my like research of, of, of what you've been doing i see that there's you have a wide audience both the the pre-rational uh, judaism uh audience and um and orthodox and i assume that it goes it goes beyond that as well uh sam i was very surprised i, I braced myself for some kind of negative response from the Yeshiva world. I mean, we're both aware of books that have come out uh, dealing with a more rational side of Judaism in the past that have not been so well received. So I, I was, I was, it was part of my concern while I was writing the book. Um, I did take very great care to to phrase things in a non-confrontational way, which is not always the, the way these books work. So, for example, instead of talking about uh, occasions in which the Torah is contradicted or challenged by science, you talk about um, explanations of the mitzvahs or mitzvahs whose who's, who's pirush, whose explanation of the Gemara it, it is not easily reconciled with our everyday experience or something like that. Sometimes if things are phrased in a non-confrontational way, that's, that's already half the job done. But I have been very surprised at being 
many chapters. We have the chapter on Torah and science, for example. So I don't come to any fun conclusion. My, my agenda is not to push, you know, to, to push an answer down people's throat. This is you know, the Torah is right, or science is right, or this is what you have to believe. Because I mean, in, really, most people reading the book have really got a pretty firm idea of what they do or don't believe on the matter. And I don't, again, I'm not a scientific expert, so what, what I was really doing was trying to analyze the scientific problems which Rambam faced in his era, the challenges that Aristotle threw at him, and how Rambam approached it, his technique, what sort of questions he asked, and what sort of proof and, and how certain he had to be in order to start reinterpreting or suggesting different ways of reading the Torah. And, and then I said, well, these are the questions today, and if Rambam was living today, then these are the questions he would ask. And I, don't give a, I don't give a conclusion. And it's actually very interesting because uh, I know that, the, that the, that chapter was appreciated and, and recommended both by people who I, I thought of as pretty so five-round Haredi Kolal people. It was, it was appreciated by, by Jonathan Sachs. I know that's one of the chapters he, he, he reviewed very much liked, and people who I know who are not orthodox at all. So sometimes it's possible to write something in a non-confrontational way, show different sides of an argument, but not push any answers down people's throats. And I think people do appreciate that. That right, that's amazing. I think that a lot of the bad rap of this, you know, approach has come through the which is funny, but through the Midos that sometimes we see that it comes with confrontation and a certain set of Midos that like it seems like it's a it's a rough a rough area to be in, but really it's it's just as valid as any other approach to Judaism as as long as it. Uh, I mean, my my introduction, my first my first chapter, I I go through. I say that you know, within Jewish tradition we have both of these dimensions. We have the more mystical dimension, and that, and that is valid. That is represented within the Jewish tradition. Then we have the rationalistic one, and they have to ideally they should be working together. I bring a. Uh, a medrash from Gracious Rabbi uh, with, with some Purushim about how, how the Jewish nation is compared to a dove with two wings. So if one gets tired or becomes dysfunctional, the dove can fly with a second one. So again, I'm, I'm not a scientist. I'm not sure a bird really can fly with only one wing. <laughs> I know someone actually challenged me about <laughs> that. But uh, the idea being that, yes, we, as, as a Jew, going through the challenges you, you're going to inevitably face in life, you have to have both possibilities. You have to be trying to understand as well as best you can within a rational framework. You have to also have that experiential, that more mystical side, that feeling that you are connected to some some bigger being out there, however you, however you want to put it, so that when you face some kind of impasse, there is something to fall back on. And these really should be working together, complementing each other to whatever extent. Right, as most things, we like it to be black and white. But you're you're bringing a, a valid point there. What besides the Rambam and maybe these are maybe these are the main inspirations. But besides the the, the Rambam, Marnevuchem, and the and Rav Hirsch, what were Svarim and or books, um, any way that you want to cut that 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 inspired you and influenced you? Maybe not directly even to write the book, but is like your go to is a is a place where you find inspiration and. Uh, a major influence from? 
And it's okay. And it's okay if it's just rehearsed. That's okay. It's okay if it's just rehearsed. I mean, that, that's just, uh, that's fine too. There's no, that's no shabby answer. So. <laughs> Rehearsal the Rambam was certainly the two the two primary sources. I, I, I draw on Rabbeinu Nissim, the Ran, um, and just many uh, philosophical, theological conversations I've had with people over the over the years, trying to trying to pull these things together. Of Soloveitchik, I, I, I bring in quite a lot. One one unexpected one, perhaps, is uh, it's a book that I received as a as a young kid. Uh, Bertrand Russell's Problems of Philosophy is a, a bit of a strange choice. I'm not sure I got halfway through the book, but it certainly influenced me at a young age to start thinking about the world in a more open way. As one of my dad's law students, I mentioned he's, he's a lecturer, a professor, a law professor in the uh, University of London. And when he had Jewish students, especially the less religious ones, he used to invite them back for, for Shabbos meals. And we had uh, a whole big group over. We used to chat to them, bounce ideas off them. This was part of our, you know, coming back from the Hasidish school to the, the academic Shabbos table. But uh, there was this uh, guy, a student, who was converting. He'd done a first degree in philosophy, and he was converting to law. Let's get some sort of respectable job at the end of it. And I was sitting at the Shabbos table, 10, 11 years old, I must have been. And I remember having a, a lengthy debate with him about... Uh, must be moral philosophy, legal philosophy, natural morality, the extent to which we can say that there are universal moral laws that everyone in the world can recognize as right. Classic, classic Shabbos, classic Shabbos table arguments. No biggie. So we can be going on for a while, and I, I gave the student a good run for his money. He showed up a couple of days later with a, this copy of uh, Bertrand's Russell, Bertrand Russell's Introduction to Philosophy, uh, The Problems of Philosophy, it was pretty heavy going for an 11-year-old or whatever I was. But again, it really opened up my mind as a, as a, as a, as a kid, a teenager growing up. Um, I remember sort of sitting there playing, playing chess match and chess competition in a losing position, wondering if, if I was God, could I get out of this game and win it? And there was a mathematical possibility. I remember my, my <laughs> some bar mitzvah gift being given a, a ticket, uh, a prize, prime seat at an England soccer match, uh, an important game, and sitting there instead of enjoying the game, wondering if the players had free will or whether the score was predetermined. <laughs> so it, definitely this sort of philosophical background and certainly the Bertrand Russell book was a, was a formative experience and it opened up my mind from a young age just sort of thinking about life in this, uh, in this sort of way and Judaism with it. Did you ever, did you ever explore... Um the other philosophies and and was that part of what went into making this book on jewish philosophy was he explored other philosophies or was it, is this is this purely uh jewish philosophy based meaning your your background and not, not in a formal way as in I, I read many articles i just discussed things with people as, as part of my law degree i did a course in jurisprudence which is the philosophy of law so that many of the chapters of the book look into the system of halacha and the philosophy of halacha as well so that that was certainly that was certainly part of it but no i didn't didn't study philosophy in a, in a formal way apart from that no that's amazing that also that your your uh, infatuation with philosophy from a young age just brought itself back to judaism and to jewish philosophy you know halavai that should work for everyone that they have interests and in, in other things and they could bring it they could bring it back to that that's an amazing um 
it's the purity also of the book. So. Well, then, you know, I was sitting there in the yeshiva, which is really, I mean, the typical yeshiva world isn't so philosophy based. It's, it's, it's based around learning the Gemara, but most of the hours, you know, a bit of halacha, a bit of a few other things, but it's primarily Gemara related. I, was, I, was, I remember sitting there and just looking for the system, both for the, the system of Gemara, that how, how to understand the nature of Jewish law, and I guess that, that's, that's that maybe a subject more for my next book, so the philosophy of halacha and how to, how to understand the, the system in that sense, but also in terms of just generally the philosophy and theology of Judaism, and that's why my, my exploring led me to the Rav Hash and the Rambam, the Rav Hash, and the such for a system which I felt they provided. Cool. Is that your next, um, that's your next project, is working on uh, the system of halacha? Well, I, as I it's, it's, with me, with my ADHD background, it's going to be more than one thing I'm working on. So there are, there are a couple of things. One, <laughs> one is with a colleague, uh, with, we're working on a, a critique of some of the more speculative and poorly formulated challenges to the Torah from the world of academia. You find many particularly online uh, articles which are challenging the, the classic orthodox belief of Torah and Sinai, all written by Moshe and, and you find very many people they, they call themselves orthodox uh, rabbis, orthodox websites who, who constantly are, are churning out these, these articles which, uh, which you know, with academics professor so and so letters after their names and this can really affect people's confidence in the, in the traditional orthodox views that they've been brought up with. And yeah, I think this is part of the, the stated purpose of these websites. So I, together with a, with a colleague, I've been putting together a whole series of these articles and responses to them to show just, just how speculative and, and poorly formulated they are once you sit down and, and, and actually go through the sources. And that, that's, that's one thing I'm working on at the moment. And the second, it's still in the research stage. I haven't actually started doing the writing yet. It's, as we said, it's more the, the philosophy of halacha, um, particularly the Rambam's approach to, to how he integrated the oral tradition and the, the written text of the Torah, the divrei sofrim, as he calls it, um, how that ties into the sort of uh, the Tamea mitzvahs, the reasons for the mitzvahs, the office of Moran uh, the difference between this, this traditional Sephardi and the Ashkenazi, yeshiva world, the Baritosis, how they all how they approach these matters, and really how how understanding this can improve and help us in our study of Gomorrah today. So that, that's something I'm working on excited about at the moment. Um, I had to, I had some essay on that, which was part of the original Jews and Reclaimed book, which I was advised to not to include. So <laughs> I'm quite quite happy that I, I didn't include it because I've had time to sort of sit down and think about it more, develop it more, and hopefully expand it into a whole book. So that's that's years away still. Cool. You brought up something very interesting to me that um, you're saying that there's lots of, it basically what's become on the internet is like this, uh, Torah has become this almost democracy. Anybody can say, you know, Torah true ideas, and then basically write whatever they want. And it's it's for anything, you know. Who said who said this is right? Who said that is right? So it's it's hard to to discern. But if you feel that you have something right to say, um, it's important. It's important a that you refine what you say and make sure that it's right. But it's also to make sure that you're in the right place 
and saying it in the right way. Whereas if it's a blog post, you're, you're writing blogs, counter blogs. And if it's, you know, podcasting, there's so many more mediums that come out and, um, to be there. Is that, is that important for you to be online and the online um, presence of this, of these ideas, or is it, you know, strictly all coming back to books? Well, online is, is the, the Facebook group that I've been running now for, for a year and a half. It's have uh, dialed it down a bit recently to work on the, the new books, but it certainly is very important to be out there. Um, online is where the exchange of ideas really happens nowadays. I mean, you grew that, that, that Facebook group alone. People today. That Facebook group alone, I, I, with the last I checked, which is, I think, today, was is about 4,000 people. So that's that's obviously there's a need for it online also, not just in a book. Uh, people want right. that. So. And we've been able to maintain this sort of generally uh, respectful dialogue between some, you know, very religious people, rabbis on there, um, many people there aren't orthodox, some are even Jewish, I think. And on the whole, there's been a very constructive dialogue and people have, have really gained a lot from it. So, yeah, thank God I've been able, been able to start something there. Um, whether whether that uh, itself leads to more books and how that progresses, I, I don't know. I've been trying to encourage more people to get involved with it. But uh, yeah, it, it, it's it's been a very enjoyable, particularly the, if the, the last year of Corona, people have been at home much more, people have been looking for, for online learning, reading material, exchange of ideas, some sort of online community, rather than their, their usual, uh, their, their usual bet midrash, what they're doing. So thank God it's, it's, it's been able to enrich a lot of people's Judaism over the last uh, year or so. So the book was the, the diving board, the launching pad for you, because that, that really brought about all these other things, all these other opportunities to spread. Absolutely. The, the book came out, the fact that it was partial formats really helps it to go online. I can have a weekly post which connected something in the parasha, which people are, people are always looking for something relevant or seasonal or weekly to, to, to uh, tie into. The fact that there was, there was an early challenge online from uh, Robert Slipkin's blog, so that created, people always love a little bit of controversy and argument. Right, so it worked to your advantage as well. <laughs> yeah, as I say, there's no such thing as bad publicity. So... <laughs> <laughs> so that, but you that did it beautifully. I also want to, I, you know, you did that beautifully, and you said, you know, please and thank you. And I really thought that was a menschlach of you, the way you, the way you dealt with that contra- controversy as well. Right. I, I, I do think that uh, in many aspects, our positions aren't so far away from each other. But if my project is more to reconcile and bring people together and to try and show how different systems and perspectives could work together, whereas if that's not everyone's uh, approach, some people try to, to show how different systems are opposite to each other, and yeah, it, uh, it led to a very interesting conversation, and the debate, you know, Jews love a little bit of arguments, and how could they call it, so the, the debate and the, the intrigue, so that definitely gave a, gave a forum a kickstart, and yeah, really it's growing from there. Amazing. Okay. Um, this is this is really nice, and thank you for coming on. Um, you know, I, I I decide that the success of each podcast will be if I want to go out and read and read that week's parsha or read that book, um, then it means I was successful because I I think just seeing beyond beyond the pages, sort of where it came from and where it goes, is super helpful um, for me, and I'm always inspired. So I think that that's uh, 
hopefully people will enjoy this as well. Just understanding, getting to connect to you, understanding you better. So, and I can have you on. Thank you very much. And thank you for hosting me on the podcast. You know, it's been a real pleasure. It's been a privilege. Thank you so much. And thank you for listening. Join us again next week on Beyond the Book. Brought to you by Intentional Jew Podcast Network.